Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 hello and welcome to in the word a ministry of calvary chapel of orlando we hope that god speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse chapter by chapter with senior pastor will ramirez in the book of luke so verse 1 chapter 23 the whole multitude of them arose and they led him unto pilate And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, when it says the whole multitude of them arose, it means all 70 members, all the rabbis, all the chief priests and his family. That's a pretty imposing group to now approach Pilate at his hall, his judgment hall. Pilate is an interesting individual. He became governor of the Judean region uh, in 25 A.D., He had a notorious hatred for the Jewish people. Uh, One time when he was really upset with them, they came to bring a complaint, and he actually dressed up some of his soldiers like the Jewish people and had them murder all the petitioners who were there in his judgment hall, had the doors locked, and had them murder all those petitioners. So they did it when no one suspected. So, I mean, this guy, he just hated the Jews. He was, his, numerous times, uh, Individuals have talked about him and and quoted him as saying things like, I can't wait to eradicate this people. He hated them. And and that consistently got him in trouble with Rome because the one thing Rome didn't want was trouble. And the Jews were always complaining about Pilate. And so Pilate at this point in his career, he is on his last leg with Rome. The emperor is like, I've had it with you. I don't want to have any more problems. You better keep the peace there. Shortly after Jesus' death, Pilate will be removed from power and exiled to Gaul where he'll die because he has another run-in with the Jews. So this guy is not someone that he likes them, they like him. So when you've got this group of people and you know you're on your last leg and they show up at your hall, you can't just dismiss them, which is what he would love to do. So they show up there and they begin to accuse, bring charges against Jesus. We found this fellow, number one, perverting the nation. The word there means to continually mislead. And, and the idea here, it, it, means you, it, it means that you presuppose you should be leading instead of Rome leading, which is what they'll accuse him of a moment, saying that uh, Caesar isn't king, but he's the king of the Jews. So misleading the people. Secondly, that he is forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Now, that is a flat-out lie. Jesus was not leading, these are both flat allies. Jesus was not leading an insurrection. He wasn't trying to usurp any thrones. And he taught that the people should pay taxes to Caesar. So these are both flat out lies. And, and listen, if you ever have to lie to achieve what you might believe is even a good result, you're in sin. You're in sin. Listen to a Christian comedian and he he said, uh, he said, parents lie to their kids all the time. We teach our kids not to lie, but we lie to them all the time. And I'm like, we do? If you're trying to achieve a good result through lying, you're in sin. 
These guys really believed that they were doing something good, but they had to lie to achieve the result. And that's always going to be sin. If you have to lie to get ahead at your job, God's not the one promoting you. If you have to lie to, to, to get the girl, then God's not the one who brought her into your life. So Pilate, verse three, even beyond lying, even a good end never justifies evil means, ever. Does everybody understand that? Even a good end never justifies evil means, never. Evil means are always wicked and God always hates it, no matter what the end might be. Even if you think it gives you a more favorable result, it's wicked and God hates it. Verse three, Pilate asked him, Jesus saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him and said, thou sayest it. Now the phrase then again, it means yes, it is as you say. Now, John tells us this question actually occurred in a private meeting with Pilate where the primary topic of discussion was truth. So he asks him first, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say correctly that I am. And then he goes, why are they, why did they bring you here? I can tell you're not trouble. Why'd they bring you here? What's, what's, what's your deal? And Jesus begins to talk about truth. And of course, that's when Pilate gives the famous answer. He goes, what is truth? What is truth? That doesn't get anybody ahead anywhere. Pilate, after he realizes that Jesus is not a threat to the throne, he's not a threat to any Roman authority here, when he realizes that Jesus was about changing hearts and not political insurrection, he gives his sentence, comes back out, verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in him. The phrase no fault means no cause for capital punishment. What you have already done to him is enough. What he's already experienced at your hands, I can tell he's been beaten all night, that is enough. I find no cause for capital punishment. I'm done. But that was not enough for the Sanhedrin. For verse five, it says, they were the more fierce. The word there means to keep on strongly insisting. So he keeps on saying no, and they keep on insisting, saying no. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. They keep insisting, Pilate says no, and finally they say no, he's stirring up everyone, even all the way up to Galilee, and Pilate goes, aha, Galilee, you say? When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked, well, is Jesus a Galilean? And as soon as they answered yes, he knew that he would belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction. He says, ha, that's my way out of this mess. And he sent him to Herod, who himself there was at Jerusalem for the feast. So Herod is there at Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And so he passes the buck. Pilate could have ended this nonsense right here by doing the right thing, releasing Jesus. But instead he passes the buck to someone else. Now, Good leaders don't try to get out of hard decisions by letting others make those decisions when they know what the right decision is. Good leaders do not pass the buck when they know what the right decision is to do. They don't leave the right decision to someone else when they know what the right decision is. They do what's right. Pilate is not a good leader, and so he passes the buck to Herod. Verse 8 says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. He thought, man, I am so excited because he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things about Jesus and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. He had been wishing for this for a while. I don't know exactly what Herod hoped to see. I mean, what did he expect Jesus to do? It's not like Jesus, you know, just started doing, you know, juggling, you know, in, in the, you know, in there in the, by the seaside in Capernaum, you know, and all of a sudden the balls started juggling themselves. Everybody's going, <gasps> and then, you know, they brought their sick people and Jesus healed them. I don't know what he expected to see. Did he bring a bunch of sick people there and be like, hi, Jesus? 
I don't know what he expected Jesus to do. I don't know if he expected him to breathe fire. I have no clue what this guy is expecting. But I do think it's interesting because I've heard many people say, well, if God would just show me a sign, I believe. And you know what I ask him? Okay, what sign would satisfy you? That response is always interesting because I kind of go, I, I don't know. Oh, but you've already said you'd believe if he'd show you a sign. But you haven't even given a thought of what, what he needs to do? That is the craziness of this mindset. Whew, I, you know, I want to see Jesus do something amazing. Problem isn't necessarily that someone's looking for God, but they just don't see him. The problem is most people just ignore God. And they have various different excuses as to why you need to back off so they can continue to ignore him. And that's just one of them. Well, you know, if God would just show me he was real, I'd believe. If you would just take any time to give thought to whether or not you really want to know if he's real, you'd get some answers. Because the Bible says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. And he's not going to turn aside someone who sincerely seeks after God. See, what the Bible says to us is that we don't naturally seek after God. We naturally don't care. (laughs) And that's the part that we fail to admit. It's not just that we deceive others. We deceive ourselves. And we actually think, well, if God would show up, I believe. Okay. So what do you want God to do? Have you ever even given that a thought for two seconds? What is it you want God to prove? What is it you want to see? And would you really believe if he did it? See, those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Because when we begin to come to grips with those thoughts, the reality that we don't really care, and we probably still wouldn't believe, is when we begin to see that there's a problem in here, a problem I can't fix on my own. It's the beginning step of drawing near to God. It's called humility. Herod here, it says in verse 9, he questioned Jesus in many words. It means with many charges, many accusations. But Jesus didn't answer anything. And the chief priests and the scribes, they stood and vehemently accused him. The word stood there is in a, in a verb tense we don't use in our language. It's called pluperfect. And, and, and it means something that's being spoken of now, but actually happened in the past. So the reason that Herod is making all these accusations against Jesus is because these guys stood here and vehemently argued that Jesus was a bad guy. And so Pilate, I mean, Herod, he just keeps bringing it up to Jesus. The reason that Herod interrogated Jesus with these accusations over and over again is because he's hoping to bait Jesus somehow. He's hoping to bait Jesus to defend himself and prove that he's a good guy by doing something miraculous. And you know, one of the saddest things that can happen to a person is when God goes silent on them. Jesus remained silent because Herod knew these charges were false. He was from Galilee. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew everything Jesus had done. Herod only was, it was only doing this to bait Jesus into proving his innocence by doing a miracle. And see, people speak like they're serious about truth or serious about God. I'd believe if God would just show me he's real. But I find that most frivolously approach their relationship with God. And so when God doesn't answer them their whim for party favors, they grow frustrated. And so Herod, in verse 11, he's frustrated now. Jesus won't answer. So Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught. So Herod and his men of war at the same time, they began to set Jesus at naught. The word there means to despise someone because they have no value to you. As Jesus is just standing there silently, Herod just thinking, what good are you to me? This is the biggest disappointment I've ever experienced. I've been looking forward to this day when I could see you and you got nothing for me? You're just a person. Nothing special about you. 
And they began to mock him. And they arrayed him in gorgeous, a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. The word mock, again, it's the same thing, to make fun of someone by pretending he is not what he is. I've heard you're the Messiah. I've heard you're the Son of God. You have nothing to say. I've heard you're this amazing preacher. You don't even have a word for me? They began to mock him. They put a gorgeous royal robe. Matthew and Mark tell us it was a purple robe, the color of royalty, likely one of Herod's robes. Ah, oh, King of the Jews, Son of God, Messiah, you deserve a, a, a big, wonderful royal robe. And then he sent him back to Pilate. And the same day, verse 12 tells us that Pilate and Herod were made friends together because before this they were at enmity between themselves. Herod and Pilate were enemies before this because Herod was the one who who originally asked for Pilate's job. He was denied his request to be king over not just a tetrarch over one of the four regions that Rome divided Judea, Israel up into, but he wanted the kingdom of Judea as well. Rome rejected him and made Pilate, not the king, but the governor over the region. He was exceedingly jealous any time Pilate encroached on his region of rule. When Pilate deferred to Herod here, Herod felt even properly respected, and he stopped being hostile toward Pilate. So they become buddies after this. Verse 13, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people. Behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching these things whereof you accuse him. And not just me, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, look at Jesus is here perfectly fine now. Nothing worthy of death has been done unto him. There's no, no writ here that says he should die. There's no judgment against him. He wasn't beaten. There, nothing happened to him. Nothing worthy of death. No sentence, no beating, nothing but mockery. And while that's awful, that's not a decision of capital punishment. It is extremely important for us to understand that everyone who questioned Jesus, every trial Jesus had, he was found innocent. It's important for that. Because during Passover, the lamb that you would kill had to live with you for two weeks. And during those two weeks, that lamb would have to be inspected for any blemish and any flaw. Well, guess what? Jesus had no blemish, no flaws. He is perfectly qualified to be our Passover lamb, not just by Jewish courts, but by Gentile courts. And therefore, as an acceptable sacrifice to God, he is qualified to be the Savior for all mankind, not just the Jew, but the Gentile as well. That is a very important thing for us to understand. So Pilate gives his verdict, verse 16. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one of them at the feast. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I will dismiss him as a changed man. When I'm going to do something to him, and when I get him back to you, he'll be a changed man. That's what the word chasten means. It's what we would use when we're teaching our children through discipline, to teach through discipline. I will teach him to not upset you so much by giving him a whipping. That will solve the problem. That's my conclusion here. I'm going to whip him with a cat of nine tails, flog him, and in doing so, he will learn not to stir up trouble anymore. That is my solution to the problem, and it will solve the problem. They knew that wouldn't solve their problem, so that's not what they wanted to hear. They want blood because they know a whipping isn't going to stop Jesus. And so in verse 18, they cried out all at once. That must have been intimidating. All at once saying, away with this man. Literally, it means execute this man and release unto us Barabbas. Pilate, it was his tradition that during the Passover, he would release a criminal to them. 
And so he's looking at Jesus going, I'm going to release him because I think you guys have just done this for jealousy. So I'm going to fix the problem of him making you jealous and I'll give him back to you and everything will be fine. They say, no, execute him and release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas, it mentions here, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Here's the irony here. They accuse Jesus of what? Sedition, stirring up an insurrection. But they want a genuine rebel who didn't just stir up an insurrection, but was part of the insurrection and murdered a Roman dignitary or soldier of some sort. How do they not see the contradiction? Because without the Lord, that's the very best I can muster. When the Lord leaves me to myself, that's the best I can muster. Self-deceit, self-will, selfishness, envy, jealousy. I am not saying that Christians are the only people who can do good things. That's not the point. God's reign falls on the just and the unjust. We are all made in the likeness of God. We all have a conscience. But when those things are suppressed and God leaves me to myself, when it is the jurisdiction of self, darkness will prevail. Because in my flesh dwells no good thing. When the conscience is seared, when the conscience becomes hardened, and God leaves me to myself, he removes his spirit, the one who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the jurisdiction of self. And when I'm in the jurisdiction of self, darkness will always prevail. That is why Jesus in chapter 9 of Luke, verses 23 and 24, told us. He said this. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same, the same shall save it. Paul, we read in our scripture reading, he said, I find then a law that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing so that I can't even do the things that I want to do. That's a law. It is a spiritual law. If left to myself, even when I may want to do the right thing, I will always do the wrong thing. If left to myself. If my conscience becomes seared, and if God takes his hand off me, if it is the hour of self, the jurisdiction of evil, guess what? I will always choose the wrong thing. And so I ask you, are you living life on your own terms? Are you living life in your own strength? Because as a Christian, we can do the same exact thing. We can have him begun in the spirit. We can try to be made perfect in the flesh. We can say, no, I know your word says this, God, but that won't work, so I'm going to do this. Are you living life on your own terms? If you're not a Christian today, are you living life on your own terms, in your own strength? Well, guess what? When God leaves you to self, anything's possible. Now, Pilate tries to reason with them, but it's unsuccessful. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants to release Jesus. He spoke again to them. No, I'm not going to release Barabbas. I'm going to do Jesus. But they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. The word there means they kept on shouting it. It became like a chant, like you might see on Saturday college football. And so he said unto them the third time, why? This makes no sense. What evil has he done? I know you're lying. I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. That will fix the problem. And here's the sadness of self. Pilate knew the right thing to do. But knowing the right thing to do and even wanting to do it isn't enough to defeat self. For it says in verse 23 that they were instant 
They kept on insisting with loud voices, requiring, demanding that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. The word prevail there means to prevail over something or some person so as to be able to defeat it or them with the implication that the successful participant is the one who has the greater strength. The insistence of self was stronger than Pilate's awareness of what was right and his desire to do right. And so Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And so he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus to their will, to self, what they wanted and what they desired. When self is the most important thing, the only result will be the defeat of justice and good. And that is why Pilate's wife in Matthew 27, 19 warned her husband to not have anything to do with Jesus because he in his own strength was no match for the evil that would assault him. Thus, the hour of self, the jurisdiction of evil, prevails despite the continued declaration that the Passover lamb had no blemish. Now listen, there have been many injustices in history due to man's problem of self. This is the greatest of all. For we turned the one who came to save us, we turned him over to be killed so that we wouldn't have to listen to him anymore. It's that simple. It's easy to say, well, I'd never do that. People say, well, no, it's not, I, don't, I don't have any problem with Jesus or whatever. You can believe what you want. I heard a conservative radio show, show talking about this this week. They said, oh, you know, it's, I, I think religion's okay, you know, and stuff. Just keep it to yourself. I'd never do that. I'd never hurt Jesus or anybody who believed in him. You know, I just ignore those people. I do my own thing. I let them do theirs. I do my own thing. I let Jesus do his. But if you're not a Christian today, I ask you, is that what you've really done? Have you really just let bygones be bygones? Have you ever mocked Jesus or Christianity in your heart? One of the most difficult things we, when it comes to the issue of self is self-deceit. Arrogance, because of self-deceit, we cannot properly assess ourselves. We need an outside source. And that's why God gave us this. That's why he gave us his law. God gave us his law to shine light on the darkness of our hearts, of our arrogance and our self-deceit so that we would be able to measure ourselves not against ourselves, but against his standard. So what does this law say? It says, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Ever? It says, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything regardless of its value? It says, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, obviously it would apply to a man as well, then you have committed adultery in your heart already with them because you've set your heart and mind on something that isn't yours. Have you ever done that? Those are just three of the Ten Commandments. How can you testify that you're a good person when you're 0 for 3? And trust me, if I go through the other seven, you're going to fail all those too. Have you always loved God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Has there ever been anything else that you loved more than Him? The Bible says you're not to have any idols. Have you always honored your father and mother? Always. See, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're good people. And so He gave us His law so we'd realize we aren't. When I was saying those things, how did you respond to that? Did you try to justify yourself? Well, no, you don't understand my situation. Or did you mock the Bible's claims? Those are stupid. If those are things that were going on in your heart, that should concern you because that's exactly what these people did with Jesus. When you do this, you're not just ignoring Jesus and letting bygones be bygones. 
See, Jesus went through all this so you don't have to be judged by God the Father. You don't have to die for your sins. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so my word to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you've been ignoring Him and thought, well, that's fine, I just let Him do His thing, I do my thing. No, it's time to repent, and it's time to receive His sacrificial gift. And if you're a Christian here today, you and I, we are to deny ourselves to take up our cross daily, to not live life on our own terms, but to follow Jesus. Are you doing that? Let's all stand. Lord, you know where each one of us is this morning, whether we know you or whether we don't, whether we are submitting to your terms or whether we're living life on our own terms. And so God, I pray for every heart right now that's wrestling with you, that you let them know how much they're loved by you, Lord, that your way is indeed better, And if they'll repent, if they'll change their mind about their way being better and they'll trust you, that your word says that if they'll put their faith in Christ and his sacrifice for them on the cross and trust you to follow you, well, that you'll wash away all those failures, all those sins, and you'll give them eternal life. Lord, we need it desperately because the wages of sin is death. Well, the wages of sin is separation from you for all eternity and ugliness, Lord, when left to ourselves. Lord, we don't want either of those things. We want all that you have for us. So with every eye closed, every head bowed this morning, if you're here today and you need to get right with the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, you need to get right with him, give your life to him, or if, if you've been living life in your own terms, you say, I want to I submit to Jesus again, just lift your hand high because I'd like to pray with you as you're making that decision. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You say, I want to I live life on his terms now. I don't want to do things my own way anymore. I want to give my life to Christ. Anyone this morning before we close out our service? Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us and that you did this for us, Lord, so that we don't have to go through it, but that we'll be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.